ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Hello, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's going on, what's good, everybody? We are on here for the June 20th, 2021 episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. I am your host, the self-proclaimed biggest Gennady Golovkin detractor on the planet. Yes, I said it on wax, and I don't care. All right, but that's that's it. That is who I am. All right, and think about it is we are deep into looks like the uh, summer schedule, right? Uh, we had a lot of action that took place yesterday. We're going to be covering that as much as we can here in this particular uh, podcast. Of course, we had, you know, the instance where um, we could have had a fight card, of course, over in Miami this weekend, but that ain't happened. Um, you know, with the thing with Teofimo Lopez, that was rescheduled. Uh, to be sometime in August due to, you know, uh, Teofimo Lopez uh, having a positive uh, test for uh, COVID. So you had other action that happened over in Las Vegas uh, yesterday. You had action over in Houston yesterday. Um, there might be something where I talk about, you know, the whole Chavez card. Um, you also have some in El Paso, Texas, which we'll talk about, which probably had the highlight of the day. Um, in a undercard uh, there, but uh, wanted to get into, you know, real quick what happened over in Houston, Texas. You had, you know, that WBC middleweight championship bout. Jamal Charlo uh, there was going up against Juan Macias Montiel. You know, with Jamal Charlo uh, defending that title undefeated, uh, going up against Juan Macias Montiel, who, you know, had a few losses, including one against a Jaime Munguia, which we'll, you know, talk about here later in this uh, show. Um, but, you know, Montiel with uh, four, yeah, four losses on his record, you know, before this particular bout uh, had won three of his last four before going up against, you know, Jamal Charlo. And a lot of people felt like Jamal Charlo was, uh, highly favored to win this particular bout and that he, uh, you know, would have been able to, you know, get a win by KO. Um, uh, but, 
he went through this particular fight against Juan Montiel. And if y'all saw the first few rounds of this particular bout, like I did, I thought that Jamal Charlo was going to run right through this guy. Um, Juan Montiel, you know, came in there with, <laughs> if y'all saw, I'm like, yo, uh, he came in there fighting at, at, a, at a southpaw stance or something like that. I didn't understand it. He he fought in a southpaw stance. He had like his his feet were like in the I don't know if it was like a like he even looked like he had a front foot or anything like that. But it just seemed like he was out of place everywhere he was in the ring. And if it just like took like a real good sharp punch, something put together by Jamal Charlo he would have been able to easily stop Juan Montiel. Uh, but he didn't do that. Um, he had a couple of instances where he had Montiel in uh, big trouble in the fourth and fifth round. Uh, you saw Montiel just stumbling, rumbling, stumbling, fumbling, like, what is it, Chris Berman says? And But he did not go down. And there were times when, he, when Montiel answered with a couple of power shots that kind of you know had charlo in a little bit of hurt man um he you know kind of like stopped in his place uh, a couple of times there and and that kind of surprised me a bit that uh charlo you know when he got hit by you know juan montiel that it like made made him kind of like almost like second guess a couple of things and if you saw how the second half of the fight went down when Montiel started to land a couple of shots, even though it was Jamal Charlo winning the rounds and all that, you saw Montiel land more shots on on Jamal Charlo to you know give him a, a welt on his eye, a little cut on his eye, um, and that he was getting you know hurt on a couple of those uh, exchanges, and you know some some people saw that Jamal Charlo you know, kind of got hurt by uh, Juan Montiel uh, there. And the thing about it is, is that, you know, it, I, I didn't see like a second gear from Jamal Charlo in this particular bout. Um, he just, you know, kind of like fought off his back foot for a majority of the time. And, you know, fighting off that back foot majority of the time, particularly in the second half, kind of like made it to where, yeah, he was winning the fight, but it wasn't like, you know, people like, saying that oh he's gonna watch this dude and so it ended up going the full 12 rounds with you know um jamal charlo getting the uh decision win you know with one of those scores being 120 108 you know him winning all 12 rounds in one scorecard but outside of that uh it was still like a clear decision victory for jamal charlo for him to go 32 and 0 uh there and keep that wbc middleweight title but uh, you know, we'll have uh, more reaction on to this. I wanted to, you know, add uh, Commerce uh, on here uh, to, you know, have their take on what happened here with Jamal Charlo against Juan Montiel. This should be uh, Brother Mike here uh, on, on the scene. What's going on? What's going on, Jay? How you doing today, man? Doing all good, man. Doing all good. Um, yeah, this, this, um, yeah, that fight, man. I was like, I. Th- Coming into this, that Montiel was gonna get ran through, 
I mean, I saw like you know he had got you know sparked by um, Jaime Munguia, and they were saying like, oh, it was at like welterweight. And I'm like, wait a minute, Jaime Munguia was at welterweight, and I checked, and I was like, yep, that was at 147 pounds when Montiel got knocked out in the second round by Jaime Munguia, and here he is at like you know 160 pounds, and you know, yeah, he did get get the uh, win over uh, James Kirkland uh, last year, which was like that was where you know everybody said like, "Yo, that should be Kirkland's last fight." But outside of that, like this guy, you really don't see him as like somebody you should say is a uh, you know a highly ranked contender in the middleweight division. So for you know Charlo going twelve against him. You know, a lot, a good number of people were like getting on them for that. But hey, all I know is, yo, th that dude had a chin, though. For real, he had a real chin. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, how long ago was that fight against Mangia? That was four years ago. The thing is, obviously, the guy has gotten better because. He showed me a few things that looked very skillful. Like he 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 looked a little um at times foot weary or, or unbalanced, but Jamal Charlo did as well. He looked unbalanced. But he did a few things that allowed him to land those shots and puff up Jamal Charlo's eye. Because you know, he was doing like this little slick things. And you could tell like even though he doesn't have the tools per se to implement a high-level game plan, you know, like um, innate ability per innate ability, he, he didn't have that. But, mm. you know, he did have a few, like you could tell the dude's a, like not a stupid fighter. He's a semi-smart fighter. Some things that I noticed about the fight, you know, which are flaws toward Jamal Charlo. I can speak to Montiel, but, you know, no one cares. Um, Jamal Charlo does not move his head. When he throws punches, he throw the one, he throw the two, he throw the three. Might even throw the four. Mm -hmm. His head's still in the same spot. His body going one direction. His body telling him to go this direction, but, <clears throat> but his head is in the same spot. And so that's the reason why he got caught. A lot of the time, it's because when he throws his shots, he doesn't move off the line. He just stays right there. Boom, mm -hmm. one, boom, two, boom, three. Heads in the same spot. Boom, get get hit back. You know, you get hit because your head is in the same spot. And so, when I think about his training, this is exactly what he do. He don't move his head. You know, and Deontay Wilder can do that as well too. But you know, we ain't talking about Wilder. But hopefully he – I might even go so far to say that the switch trainers. Oh, the brother hey, got the wait, message. That maybe needs to switch trainers? Yeah. His brother got the message. And I can't lie. Before this fight, I would have said that he was the better between the Charlos before this yep. fight. Now, now, this could be, you know – Obviously, we saw his win. We saw his win was not there, but he exerted himself 
in those few rounds trying to take what's his name out, that definitely could have been it, you know, also why his win. It could have been preparation around COVID as well. But didn't he have his first fight during COVID against um, the German dude? Yeah, against Sergei Derevyanchenko. That was the pay-per-view. But that was during COVID, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. Something, something obviously wasn't hitting on all cylinders in terms of, you know, and stuff like that. But again, the reason why he got hit and stuff is because he don't move his head. His head stay in the same spot from when he throws to when he finishes throwing. He also, I thought he, I thought he was the trans who didn't do what he did, which is every shot he was throwing was trying to shot. Which is why the NTL was able to sort of get used to it. And I mean, there were times where he did sort of like catch him or whatever. I'm eating, uh, eating dinner. Yeah. Um, but there were times where he did catch him. But and, and we all saw those times. But other than that, if you throw at the same speed, people are going to get used to it and understand it and move their head a little to the side. Move it hit, block it, you know, do whatever they need to do to not get damaged by it. I just maybe this does him good because if he'd have went in here and just blew through this guy and, and would have obliterated him, people would be weary to fight him. I know Canelo gonna look at this. I mean Canelo probably won't fight him, but I'm just saying. A person like Canelo, just you know, like somebody who's at the top of the chain, will look at this and say, "Huh, he does have flaws. Huh, he don't move his head. Huh, I could likely hurt him. And if if he can't keep this up for twelve rounds, I could, you know, I could definitely win as long as I don't get hit by these big shots. I could win a win a match against him. But Canelo, on the other end, I could definitely hurt him." I could definitely hurt him to the body because he showed signs that that those body shots were affecting him. Montiel, if I recall, showed signs of as well, but he kind of went away from it. I mean, I guess I don't blame him because the risk of getting hurt. And I mean, he was tired as well, too. But yeah, man, I mean, I'm just saying this might have helped him in terms of getting fights. But he I think ain't it probably invincible. could have. It probably could have. The thing is, is like uh, some people were bringing up the whole thing with um, uh, Charlo, like having that like, nine month layoff after his win against Drevianchenko, and you know, a good number of people were saying that his stock was going up because of that win over Drevianchenko, and that he could be put in a discussion as you know either the top middleweight. Or discussion that he would be uh, a top middleweight uh, there in the division, and you know, with this particular performance, it was like, like you said, he was, you know, more of either staying on the line, whether he was going forward or moving back, because he there were times when he was, you know, trying to, you know, fight off his back foot, you know, and and allowing uh, Juan Montiel to come in where either Montiel wasn't throwing anything or he would just throw one shot at a time. But he didn't, you know, put enough shots together to seriously hurt Montiel over the course of those 12 rounds or, 
you know, stay consistent with like, you know, like a jab. Like for me, in his in his fight against Derevianchenko, it looked like he was throwing the jab in a much more efficient and, and much more confident pace. But here it didn't seem like he was doing that. And I don't know like what happened as far as like him going off of that against somebody like Montiel where you could have built off of, you know, going from the jab and then setting Montiel up to, you know, get caught with a lot of uh, power shots uh, instead of, you know, trying to go all out or try to smother your work because it seemed like in multiple occasions he smothered his work. You want me to tell you what he was thinking? What it was? Man, I threw the kitchen sink and everything at this guy, and I'm starting to get tired, and he's still coming. Is this dude gonna gonna catch up, mess around, and and catch me? He just wanted to get through the fight. Toward the end, he was just like, "I just want to get through this fight. I'm I'm exhausted. I just want to. I just want this fight to be over with." And you know the crazy thing is, during the fight, like those first couple of rounds, I had like you know posted on Twitter for in reference to Montiel. It was like those first couple of rounds, he wasn't doing anything at all. And then at the end of the rounds, he was throwing his hands up, like he he was like happy to happy to get through those rounds. And then in the third, fourth, and fifth round, that's when you saw him, you know, be in a lot of trouble. And he was still able to get through that with, you know, whatever, you know, Jamal Charla was throwing. And after that, like you said, it might have been to the point where, you know, Jamal Charlo had, you know, thrown everything at Montiel and couldn't get him out of there. So he just, you know, wanted to play it safe, you know, like you said, like I said, box off his back foot, uh, be you know more efficient or more um economical in his punch output to where he could get through twelve rounds, you know. But at the same time, he got caught a couple of times, and those were some good power punches from Montiel, and yeah, and and you know uh, Charlo ate those punches, and you you kind of like saw like a little bit of uh you know tension from you know the crowd out there like i mean like i thought he was gonna go through this guy and now i see him getting hit and he he has a you know welt in his eye like what's going on here you know so i mean i don't know maybe it does open him up for you know more uh bouts in the future or bigger bouts in the future but i mean I don't, I don't know what's next for him. Um, the thing with um, you know Golovkin, they're they're still set on him fighting in December. Like he's he's he looks like he's chilling until December. Uh, you know to fight Rayota Murata. So that only leaves Andre, and Andre may end up fighting you know either a Chris Eubank or you know somebody else. So who knows? Who knows? But my question is, should he wait till knock on wood, because I'm not trying to write him off. Should he think about getting somebody who can correct his mistakes? Because it doesn't like running shields is that guy. Should he wait till he loses? Or should he get another guy or see other people to correct his mistakes? Because I'm I like Randy Shields, but it doesn't like he the guy 
to correct those mistakes. The same way with Deontay Wilder, I'm not comparing people here, but his set of trainers wasn't the guys to get him over the hump to fix certain stuff. Not saying Malik Scott is, but I'm just saying something got to change. Something got to shake. You know, in, a, in the sense that they've kind of like, you know, used up what they could do at this particular point of their respective careers. You know, like with Ronnie Shields and, and Jamal Charlo, like this is all this is about as best as you could get, you know, being under Ronnie Shields. You you might need you might need someone else on the team to, you know, give him an additional wrinkle. Um like how like somebody could come on, you know, as a uh as a chief second that is uh, probably, you know, well established that could, you know, give him another element. Um, you know, like like you said with Deontay Wilder with him, you know, being a professional for over twelve years, like you could only go so far having JDs and 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 um you know Mark Breland. So let's see if you could add another element to it and see if that could, you know, change how you are as far as like your development as a fighter. So maybe that that may be the case here for Jam- Jamal Charlo, man. And uh, him, you know, like it's, like I was saying, him in the middleweight division with those guys that are out there. Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure what's next. I, I, I did have a suggestion on who he could fight. That would be a really good fight, but it, it, it won't be in the cards. And that's, you know, Jaime Munguia, who, you know, had his fight over in El Paso where he stopped Camille Cesare Meta uh, through like six rounds. And... The thing with Munguia is Munguia is somebody that is, you know, tall and throws like a lot of punches. Like he'll throw four or five, six, six punches at a time, you know, without question. And he's, you know, up there around that same, you know, that same dimension. And he's there at 24 years old. So, like, what would happen for uh, Jamal Charlo if he goes up against somebody that uh, has a high you know, punch output like Hyman Munguia does. He he just pressures you and pressures you and pressures you. He's not just somebody that just will come forward. He'll be throwing punches and throwing punches and bunches. And how would someone like Jamal Charlo deal with that if, you know, he doesn't have like a, a go-to as far as like a counter punch or something where, like you said, he, he doesn't move off the line. He doesn't move his head. Uh, he doesn't move off the line or he doesn't, you know, have a good counter game. So that's uh, some of the few questions that do come up for Jamal Charlo there uh, at the 160 pound division. Uh, and I, I didn't even mention him possibly going up to 168. I mean, you know, people mention, you know, Canelo, but Canelo's at 168 and he's going to be at 168 for a while. So if Charlo wants that challenge against Canelo. It's going to be at 168. I mean that's that's some some good questions. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to your point, but I wanted to say one last thing. When I spoke, whatever I said about Ronnie Shields, the thought process I'm thinking of is getting better, and so you can keep your loyalty and relationships, but if the goal is to get better, and they and they actually go back and watch this tape. And they're like critically looking at 
dang, I have a pattern of doing this, or I've developed a pattern, or I had a pattern in this fight. If if Ronnie Shields ain't the guy to get you out of that pattern and train you to not hit your mitts and, and things that keep your head still, or to just, you know, start learning that. Something need to shake, man, because yeah, but Jaime Mangia, who looked a lot better than he normally does. Maybe it was the fighter, but he looked he looked pretty good yesterday. I I you know I thought it was gonna be a a more equal fight until Mangia like you know landed whatever shot, but he tried to use his range. You know he did he did a better job of that. He did a better job. I mean he definitely bullied the, the guy, but um. He did a better job of doing what he should do, you know, using his assets. And maybe the dude didn't have the ability to take advantage of it. But how would that fight go? Definitely, you got to give Mangia the edge in terms of uh, endurance, at least with the showing that happened. The two showings yesterday, you got to give him the edge and endurance. Um, Charlo can't be throwing that uppercut from round one. The same way he did with, with Julian Williams, where he l landed it out of nowhere. Right. He has to he gotta disguise it, you know? Let it let him get comfortable throwing that shot. Let him get comfortable. Yeah, you might have to block a few, might take one. But doing how you did Julian Williams. Julian Williams started digging in. He started really super committing. Like I was I was rooting for Julian Wills. I'm like, yes, he landing them shots. He ain't got no power, but he landing them shots. And then Jamal Charlo letting him come in, letting him get more confident, leaning in, leaning in, more confident. He like he he was literally like like putting everything he had into them shots, and they were affecting Charlo. But when you do that, you know you risk getting what come come back. So he put everything he had into that shot. Bow uppercut from nowhere. Yeah. Over with. And so Jamal Charlo's problem is that he tried to throw it from round one and then he kept throwing. I mean, he landed it, don't get me wrong. But again, if you keep doing the same shot, the dude's gonna get used to it. And so he looking to block it now. Had he, you know, did his same mundane offense and then came and threw that shot, it would have probably been a lot more effective. I'm I'm a sideline spectator. Let me just throw that out there, but you know. Mm -hmm. I can at least come in on things that I know work for him in the past. True. Now I'm gonna uh, see if I can add uh, another uh, guest in. Shout out from a Philly YSM Sports Media checking in. What's up? Let's go, Jack. All good, man. All good, man. Um, what what you think about what J uh, Jamal did last night? Um, what what fans need to stop doing is judging fights by paper and box rack. See, what happens is when a fight's announced, they automatically go look at the, look at the guy's box rack and then judge it by who he's fought and wins and losses. But you and I both know if you didn't watch the fights, you don't know how the fights actually look. There's been some wide decisions on paper, and when you actually watch the fight, it could have went the other way. But because of the business of boxing, promotions, etc., they may favor one guy. So as soon as those type of fights are announced, and it's a guy that hasn't 
had much promotion or much hoopla, they automatically think that guys is a tomato can. And then put it in the mind that the guy Oh, what'd you say? It was like in and out. The man, he has a beard. Yeah. Yeah, he does have a beard, man. Like, I'm like, yo, y'all, y'all see that he only he only got like, you know, taken out by KO once in, in the four losses he had going into the fight. And we don't even understand the circumstances behind that loss. He could have just caught, got caught with a shot. Go through something at home. Could have been battling injury. Could have been uh, a, a a late replacement for the fight. You know what I'm saying? There's a bunch of different factors, but fans just look at box right. Oh, he's a bum. Never seen him fight, but oh, he's a bum. Got to stop doing that. That kid came to fight yesterday. Yeah, and 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 the thing is, like going into it, I mean, he he he's from a fighting family, like like his what is it, like his granddad, his uncle, uh, you know, all fighters. So that's pretty much been his life, uh, basically. So, you know, you know, yeah, he, he's had a couple of shortcomings, but you know, still outside of that, he he's been a he's been a tough out for everybody. And, you know, he had those string of wins uh there and that whole thing with um Centennial in twenty nineteen, that was a close fight too. I mean, that was a split draw, so where he could have he could have ended up winning that fight. So in, in, His first loss, he was sixteen. Yeah. So, so the, the thing about it is, I'm like, yo, like it, it's not like he's, uh, you know, somebody that, you know, that was like a real slouch or something like that. It was just that not a lot of people knew about him or knew about his background that much. So, so yeah, him going into this fight, man, and him having that type of beard, that was that was just really. You know, impressive there. But the thing was, it was like those first couple of rounds, he just seemed so awkward. Uh, and his foot positioning, uh, how he was throwing things. And it was like, man, I didn't know if he was, I mean, to be honest, I didn't know if he was going to make it through those first three or four rounds the way that he was looking, you know, because it seemed like he was very tentative. Um, Like his approach was, you know, kind of off and, and stuff like that. Um, and he, he, once he was able to get through those few rounds, that kind of like, you know, opened things up for him, uh, as far as like him, you know, being able to progress through the particular fight. And once, uh, Jamal Charlo kind of like used up his offense, then you kind of seen him be able to land a bit more, um, you know, over the course of the fight where, while I was watching it live, I thought that if Jamal Charla had upped his offense, he probably would have had a better shot of getting Montiel out of there, but he just, you know, wasn't able to do it. Um, seeing here, if uh, Terrell from Tampa uh, is able to check in, uh, yo, what's going on there? Uh, what's going on there, Chef? Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, probably got a lot of background notes. I'm at an event right now, but just wanted to check in and listen to the broadcast. Uh, didn't get to watch any of the fights at all. I just saw just saw the results things like that. Had to do some uh, cooking for a uh, private dinner, so but whatever. But uh, uh, just glad to see a great weekend for boxing. Uh, just hear you guys talk about Charlo, and the, the guy he fought, I guess, was superiorly durable and everything. So, 
but uh, just I'll, I'll leave it back to you guys. Yeah, uh, thing with Montiel, he just was, uh, you know, very, very durable, very tough, had a chin, um, and took everything that, you know, uh, Jamal Charlo was throwing at him. And so, you know, that was, you know, one thing. And the other thing was, there was like a lot on, on Jamal Charlo for, for, you know, that day. I mean, it was Juneteenth, you know, there in Texas, you know, had the event. He He's there headlining it. Um, you know, pretty much a hometown, hometown crowd. It was a very good, very good turnout uh, for that fight. You know, week, a full week of promotion. Uh, him, you know, having some uh, things happening over in, um, you know, what it was like an Astros game. He was at the Astros game doing something. Uh, they had a presentation with him and his brother, um, among other things. And so he was just going into there, you know, having all that stuff with him. And, you know, he wanted to see if he could put on a could put on a full show. And it looked like he was going to do that there in those first three or four rounds. But after... You know, um, Montiel was able to get through that. It was more of like, okay, let me just see if I could go back to, you know, boxing, using my using my uh, movement, boxing off the back foot, and, you know, seeing if I could, you know, just get through and win on that. And that's basically what he was doing. Uh, he won every round on one scorecard and all but one on another scorecard. So uh, was a, you know, a clear win for him. It was just that I think that, you know, going into it, a good number of people favored him to win by knockout. Even just real quick, jump in on that, on that notion of last week, how Houston actually honored both Charlie brothers. That was so nice to see in boxing. And even like, let me say this, Crawford, we know he's from Oklahoma. He's pretty much cornered that small market and made that a big home out of himself. And and now we look at the Charlos, even uh, Errol Spence. With Dallas things like things like that, these cars have uh, have a certain type of following that's dedicated them. They're on a big network. Uh, but one, one thing I'm looking at is like, how do these guys translate into large pay-per-view stars? That's, that's kind of the thought I'm getting at. And once again, in the post-Mayweather area, era that is, we don't have no one putting out, putting out those numbers. But but it's just good to see these people, the Charlotte brothers, Errol Spence, people like that. Uh, even even younger fighters like Stephen Fulton from uh, Philadelphia, who are who have uh, garnered attention in their city, in their region, things like that, into becoming bigger stars, stuff, stuff like that. Because you know, just 10, 20 years ago, Bernard Hopkins had all the Philadelphia on lock, and even supporters from down the I ninety five Beltway, things like that. Roy Jones Jr. He had Florida on lock, things like that. Uh, pretty much people from the south supported him, and just uh, like I say, look like these guys now. They're building their brand, building their numbers up and stuff like that. So, like, to see the city of Houston embrace them and honor them, that's just a great thing to see. Yeah, that that's uh, you know, that would be uh, very good for them um, if they, you know, could establish something where they get those crowds in Houston. And and, and you know, I think that's good on their part because you know, you you, you kind of like think about okay, yeah, you have the New York City, you have the Las Vegas, you have you know, like a Los Angeles and, you know, just recently here with like a Dallas and, you know, the AT&T stadium and stuff like that. But in other instances, you could have a lot of these guys have these hometown type of fights where they could, you know, fight in the Toyota Center like this 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 fight card was 
or you know maybe uh some other large um arena and if they're able to fill up those crowds like you know the thing with tank davis um having his uh events over in atlanta like if they get those those type of uh numbers whether it's a hometown or you know outside of that outside of their hometown then yeah they could really garner the attention and the money that you know they're looking for and it doesn't necessarily have to you know say that hey i want to have this fight against canelo in order to make that happen they could you know do that against you know pretty much uh you know almost anybody as long as they you know have it in a good spot and they get good you know good marketing good promotion and be able to pull that off and you know here with jamal charlo having this event here in uh, Houston, you know, it came out, you know, pretty nicely as far as like it being uh, fairly well attended. So, you know, that was uh, good on his part. It's just that, you know, sometimes uh, when fans go to these events and they see that this fighter is coming in like a Jamal Charlo, who's has that undefeated record, is a world champion. Um, and they kind of like expect him to, you know, be you know, head and shoulders above his opponent. And what they mean by that is to outclass their opponent and overwhelm their opponent and eventually take out their opponent. And you didn't necessarily get that here against Juan Montiel, uh, but Juan Montiel is a tough is a tough guy, a tough fighter, very tough fighter. They only had, you know, one stoppage loss, and that was at 147 pounds to uh, Jaime Magia years ago so ever since then you you kind of like see there with uh jamal charlo that um you know there might be you know some things that he has to work on a little bit but uh maybe he'll he'll be a little bit more successful against you know other opponents it's just that you know with the guys like a montiel or uh those are very tough guys and tough outs for you know anybody there in the middleweight division um, we have to see, you know, if he, like I said before, what's next out there for him. I mean, you, he could have had a fight against Chris Eubank Jr. That kind of fell through. Um, we all know the story back and forth between Jamal Charlo and Demetrius Andrade. I mean, that, like, I don't know if that fight's going to happen. Um, but there, there, there has to be, you know, something where we kind of like see what could. Um, be next for Jamal Charlo. I did mention, you know, Jaime Magia, who was very impressive against Camille Cesare Meta uh, last last night or yesterday uh, over in Texas. You know, Cesare Meta uh, had, you know, his previous loss to Gennady Golovkin uh, last year. Um, but, you know, Magia just looked like he put a lot of his shots together, um, throws a lot of combinations. Um, it's very, it looks like he's very fluid in what he does. And, you know, I, I've kind of said like in the past with Mangia is that he does need to work on his defense, but sometimes, you know, not having that element kind of like makes for a good fight if you match him up with the right person. And I said, like, if there was any way that they could have Jaime Mangia and Jamal Charlo fight each other, that would be a fight. And the, the thing about it is, is that Jaime Munguia is the number one contender in the WBC. So they could go ahead and name Munguia the mandatory and see if they could try to, 
you know, get some way to f- make that fight happen. But I, I just don't see, you know, that happening anytime soon. I mean, you know, I think McGee has been there in the middleweight division for a good little while, and he hasn't, you know, had that shot, you know, for the WBC title. Uh, he was a WBO champion at 154 and moved up, and he hasn't had that shot at the WBO title yet. So I don't know what they're in the, going to do here with uh, Jaime Munguia. He has to have a, a world title shot coming up real soon, whether it's, you know, at the end of this year or sometime next year. But, you know, right now I just think that there's a few good fights that could be made at 160 pounds that aren't being made and that's kind of disappointing uh there given that you really just have it straightforward as who those top guys in the middleweight division right now and mungia sits at, i believe at 37 and 0 right yep he's around that 37 and 0 which is crazy because I, I forget how young he is well how the hell did he get 30, 37 and 0 at this point at this uh, in, already in his career so that means I mean, probably with well, the canelo route yeah, yeah, we know Mexican fighters typically start early and fight early and often. With that said, but but just that record is, is just impressive. But I mean, but of course, I would definitely want to sit there and dissect it against the uh, opponent level, uh, level of opponent he's faced leading up to 37 and 0. But like you said, just uh, it's it's crazy. When has someone ever been an actual cha- a belt holder or champion at, at one weight class 154? We know that moved up to the high weight class. And really has not had a fight of substance at the new weight class, and that's what we're looking at in, in Mugia. And to me, uh, it looks like they're yeah, in a sense Charles, protecting I him. Mean, um, Crawford did that. Well, I, well <laughs> sorry, sorry, Terrell. Sorry, Terrell. No, no, cool. I, mean, I mean, put like this: the fights that Crawford has had at 147, even though we know that the, the tier level is is, is a, probably B level at best, but Mugia, he ain't do he. Ain't, He's not doing anything to march towards a title shot. Not at all. Not at all at 160. He's just fighting this fight, get him out of the way, take care of business, things like that. So to me, that looks like they're, they're in a sense, matching him up uh, carefully. And on top of that, in a sense, protect him. That, but, that, you know, protect my zip, protect my O. That's what they do these days. We know that. So, like I said, he should be, like I said, he, like I said you said he's, what, number one, right, for the WBA? Yeah, WBC. WBC. He's ranked number one, WBC and WBO. And like I said, even despite that, there's no definitive mark towards actual title shot or even the manner of title shot uh, to get in there with the champion, things like that. So it's, it's kind of like a chess piece that the zone has out there with him. Moving forward one step at a time, in a sense, like a pawn and everything. So there's step, moving to the side, slow and careful moves. That's what they're doing with this kid. So we'll see. We'll see. Because there's this fight time to be made. Even something like a Chris Reeves Jr. You know, that would be a great fight to make with that. Just to test both those guys out to see where they're at. But as we see, one step at a time. It's more with them. It, it, I think it's kind of, um, you know, um, interesting that with, with Munguia that even after his fight that he had, you know, where, where he beat, uh, Cesar Meta, they weren't even really talking about him having a world title shot next. They were talking about him potentially fighting Gabe Rosado. And I'm like, wait a minute. Gabe Rosado is, you know, somebody that's there at, you know, floating around, yeah, around 160, but also at 168. 
or whatever it was. And you had this dude, you know, Beckmatier, uh, you know, that he was fighting, that he was able to catch and, you know, get the win over. And, you know, Beck was somebody that they were talking about, like, oh, he was going to be the uh, next guy or next wave uh, over there around 168, 175. And now with, uh, you know, Beckmatier losing to Gabe Rosado the way he did, like that extends the career of Gabe Rosado one, but it also says, okay, now, yeah, I want to go ahead and go down to 160 and, and fight Jaime Munguia. And I'm like, man, dude, like, does does Golden Boy want to do that at this particular point for Munguia? Like, he's already been put in a position for a world title shot at 154. And now you move him up to 160, and he's had a few fights here at 160 and hasn't had a, you know, world title shot yet. I'm like, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't uh, seem, you know, right. Like, he's already, like, he stopped, like, Gary Oso or Spike O'Sullivan. He had to fight against Toriano last year, and now he has to win over Zerometa. And so now you're going to say, okay, Let's just have him go up against Gabe Rosado at this particular point of his career. I mean, I don't know if that's that's going to be a good move for him. You know, that would you know put him at the same around the same level that he was doing instead of going up against a you know world title uh, holder. You know what I mean? So either he would just be at the same spot that he's still in, or if he loses, that just like it is a serious. Serious hit to his professional career if he loses to a Gabe Rosado if they make that fight. That's great. That's that's, that's a great point. And actually, <laughs> we already know, despite Gabe Rosado getting so many bad decisions against him, Gabe Rosado could be the one to give him that first loss. So if they do, if they're once again, like I said, that's what I said. They're, it's like a, in a sense of chess. They're just moving, state moves, one one move up, one ladder move to the side, something like that. That's all that they're doing with him. And making that suggestion fight Gabe Rosado. But at the same time, we know Gabe Rosado got some fire in the tank. <laughs> so they can make that if they want to. Once again, they're not moving them directly towards the title shot. They're not making that demand, which is crazy. Like I said, after being in the weight class for so, so, for so many fights at this point and practically in the same spot. The point is to move up within the rankings. Once you give it that number one spot, demand your title shot. But that's not been done. Once again, I think they're kind of in a mistake with him. Uh, looking for the right, it's, it's almost like they're looking for the right opportunity or right fight. Uh, and obviously, Charles is not the fight that they want to fight with uh, Mugia. So, it's in, in that sense, it's just bide your time, one small move at a time. Yeah, and and I'm looking at the the um, like the rankings that they have for the middleweight division. I mean, you got you know guys like like you said around. Uh, the top five, usually, the, well, the top three, uh, they have, you know, Charlo, Andre, Golovkin are pretty much around there in the top three. Um, they got Murata there around, like, uh, number five or something like that, and, and Munguia is around there around six or, you know, six or seven. So it's like, well, like, who else are, you know, who else are you going to put them up there against? Uh, if you can't like get like somebody like a uh, say like um 
you know, even like a Liam Williams, so to speak, who, you know, had his performance against Demetrius Andre earlier this year. Like you, I mean, at least you could match him up against Liam Williams or, you know, as we mentioned, Chris Eubank. Uh, but, you know, going up against Gabe Rosado, that's like a trap. That's a trap uh, fight for him if they try to make that. Uh, especially, you know, coming off the momentum that, you know, Gabe Rosado has. So, I mean, Rosado had his performance against Daniel Jacobs last year. Um, and then going off that, he has this uh, highlight knockout reel uh, win over, you know, Beck Matir, you know, Melizuliev. And I, I'd say, uh, like, it, it's going to be, yeah, I don't, I don't see why they would try to, you know, have uh, Mangia do do that fight against the uh, um against um Gabriel's auto. It just doesn't make sense. So what they would bank off of if they did make that fight is for Mangia to throw many shots and cut him because the first sign of a cut they'll stop the fight. Uh, I mean that might ha that might happen there with Gabe Rosado, but Gabe Rosado would still fight if there was like fifteen cuts on his face. I'm I'm not speaking on his his will. I'm saying in order to <clears throat> if he has any imperfection, a cut on his face, and they're past round four, they would stop the fight, and then they would say Mangia won the fight on the cards and not risk you know any other. Craziness happening. Man, that could happen. Yeah, that could happen. Um, they could, you know, move towards that. Um, because you know, Mangia had that instance where, um, either that or it'd be like a TKO. Because uh, Mangia had the fight against Tyrion Johnson, where you know Tyrion Johnson like gave him a little bit of, you know, trouble for those first couple of rounds, but then you know got hit with the uppercut that you know really you know caused a big cut on him and that just uh practically ended the fight uh there for Toriano Johnson uh to have Hyman Mangia get that uh win there for him uh there. So I mean it, it it'll be something to see what happens next for Mangia, uh especially when he's on the verge of like being right there to uh fight a world champion and they're not, you know, making that push for him to you know, go ahead and get that. Um, you also had like more action over in um, Las Vegas, and uh, I don't know why this wasn't a uh, the co-feature bout, but it should have been a it should have been a co-feature bout. Uh, uh, therefore, um, you know, we had Isaac Dogbay against Adam Lopez, and that was a good little scrap. You know, they're at featherweight and Isaac Dogbay. That that was a very impressive uh win for him there. Uh, you know, he was former uh champion uh in the lower weight class there, was at super featherweight uh there and you know uh, actually I mean went up a super featherweight at one particular time, but he was also there at uh I mean not super featherweight, super bantamweight. Um and he had those fights against Navarrete. And, you know, people, it almost seemed like uh, people kind of like said who, like, they didn't know what else he could do uh, at this particular juncture. But he decided, you know what, I'm going to go up to featherweight 
And, you know, he had like a, you know, one fight at featherweight last year. And then going up against Adam Lopez uh, here last night, had like a great start against Adam Lopez in those first uh, few rounds. Uh, but he definitely had to, you know, weather the storm there in, those, in that back half of the fight because he was getting tagged a lot uh, there. And it seemed like there was a few instances where he wasn't in, in some good trouble, but he never, you know, went down, never went down to the canvas, uh, got through, you know, those those particular rounds and ended up, you know, getting six rounds on one card and seven rounds on another card to get a majority decision win. And so it's the return of Neho as he gets that win uh, there over Adam Lopez. And uh, now we'll see, you know, what, what could happen out here with him um, at, you know, uh, 126 pounds. Oh, oh by the way, like uh, for the, for this time period that he's been, you know, working, um, he's been over in the D.C. area, man. Like, if, I don't know if y'all may have noticed or for those that are familiar with, like, Headbangers Gym, and all of that, you you seen like, uh, you know, Patrice Harris, Booby Harris, you know, there, um, you know, he's had like other coaches there from Headbangers Gym that that you know people are familiar with, uh, that were there in this corner last night. So he's been he's been working over here in the D.C. area, you know, preparing for his fights, um, and actually, I, it says here that it's reported that he's actually uh residing over in the Tampa Bay area. I have to look into that. But he yeah, he's uh he's back on the scene there at uh 126 pounds. Uh he's had some work against uh Kobe Abridi uh over here in this area too as far as like sparring is concerned. So he's been he's been putting in a lot of work here uh getting himself ready at featherweight, but you you kind of see that he still has those tendencies where he gets hit a lot. And he has to, you know, work on that if he wants to, you know, stay competitive in the featherweight division uh, there. So that's, you know, that's uh, the thing there I got with him. And, of course, he had um, Nayo in a way get his win over Michael Dasmarinas, you know, with the body shot, knocked him down with a body shot in the second round and, and went back to it in the third round to, you know, stop him, get a third round KO uh, for him to keep his bantamweight titles and, you know, now, you know, it seems like he's there around that top uh, top fighters, not only in the Bantamweight division, but pound for pound. But we don't know what, what else uh, Das Marinas is going to do uh, here for the rest of his uh, pro career. But we, you know, had a previous person uh, state the case that Nayo in a way is number one pound for pound uh, for what he's done against his opponents and what his opponents have done after they fought in a way so that's that's kind of interesting there but um i don't know uh what what y'all thought about those fights uh, that were on espn uh if you took anything uh from those fights <laughs> uh he so he didn't get anything from him Oh, come on, man. You ain't Remind, me, what fights they were again. Remind me, they got they got lost in the noise. Remind me what fights there were again. Oh, in a way against Das Marinas over on ESPN. 
you know, they say if you don't got nothing good to say, don't say nothing at all. So I, I didn't get a lot. That's all I'm gonna say. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. All like to do was overmatched. What yeah. do you do? Yeah, yeah. He was overmatched. Uh, it was you know something where it was just like okay, you know, anyways having like one of those type of um you know, mandatory defenses or whatever it was, and that, you know, he could, you know, get through that, have his IBF mandatory, get that out of the way, and then see what's next. Um, <laughs> shout, shout out to J-Row. <laughs> he, he, he's, calling, he's calling you out uh, here on the live chat. Uh, he says, well, say something bad about anyway. <laughs> if you can't say anything good, then say something bad. <laughs> but, um, yeah, anyway, um, you know, he he's he's got this win and um you know, it looked like you know, he was going to have uh something where he could have had the uh, rematch against Nonito Denaire um after Denaire got his, you know, win over Nordino Valley for that WBC version of the Benoit title. But uh we had news earlier this week that Nonito Denaire is going to end up in the fight against John Real Casimiro, and that will be for the WBC and WBO Bantamweight titles. Uh, that is due to Guillermo Rigondeaux saying, um, you know what? Hey, I'll uh, go ahead and allow this fight to happen or say that you're going to have this fight happen uh and this is going to be on august 14th so that's a that is a unbelievable turnaround for somebody like uh donair that's three months less than three months this fight's scheduled to happen on august 14th you know um and that's the thing about it uh this is going to be a unification bout um, for those WBC and WBO titles, it's just that uh, Rigondeaux said, like, whoever wins, I got next, you know. So I'm looking forward to that particular bout. Uh, J-Row on the live chat, let me see, he says, uh, you know, he did what a pound-for-pound pound fighter should do against an overmatched opponent. This is what Floyd did. This is what Roy Jones did, and it's what Canelo does. Yeah, sometimes it's that. You know, when you're a pound for pound, number one, number two, or some people say number three, and you go up against an opponent that shouldn't be in there, like like my guy says, if the guy's supposed to be, you know, if he's not supposed to be there in the ring against you, you got to get him out of there. And that's exactly what in a way did uh, in this fight last night. Um, my question to, to both of you guys, how often is in a way in with somebody that he is obviously – Better than, because the fights I've watched, I haven't watched all his fights. I will say, but the fights I have watched, it seemed like he was the better person every time. Um, ooh, the only I'd say, well, I don't even know if it's like somebody you know better than him. Uh, the only one was probably somebody like you know. Maybe at that particular point, it don't there. But outside of that, maybe Koi Kono, uh, you know, years ago, uh, who was a veteran, is probably somebody that could have gave him some issues. But outside of that, 
I don't know. You mean Donaire who got knocked out by um, Ricky Dow? Yeah, and, and that, he no, didn't get that, knocked no, out. He no, got outclassed no, by Ricky Dow. Oh, my bad, my bad. I'm uh, thinking of the other guy. Yeah, um, Walters. Ricky Dow knocked one of them. One of them guys out, didn't it? Uh, I don't, nah, I don't think all so. All the guys kind of uh fall fall in line together to me, but who knows? <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I'm, I, I just would, like if he's so good, let's see him fight somebody who's good, and then I can really say how good he is. It's hard to say. In the few fights I've watched, word. And um, you know, the other thing is, is that, you know, like uh, the thing with um. Oh, we gotta see like uh what happens here with the news there of that uh Casimero Donaire fight because it is looking like um some the camps are saying that your Rigo is not guaranteed the winner. Um and that and and that could be the case because I mean depending on you know, depending on who wins, like they could just go ahead and just try to have that undisputed fight. And that's the thing that Donaire was talking about. After his win over Ubali uh, with that WBC belt, like if he was, you know, gonna go up against Inaway first, then he was gonna say next is undisputed. But now he's putting himself in that position to fight Casimero, who, in a in a way, he like it was last year before the whole thing with the pandemic. Casimero was scheduled to fight Nayo Inaway in Vegas. I think it was last April was when they were scheduling it. But, you know, the whole thing with the pandemic kind of like, you know, um, scratched that whole bout, you know. Um, and, and in a sense, uh, in another, well, a question that has been, you know, risen up in the live chat here, uh, who should in a way fight? Um, that, that's the thing. I think right now it's it's those guys, the, the, the you know, the Denier Casimero winner, or, you know, Guillermo Rigondeaux. And that's pretty much, you know, that's it. That's around there. Now, I've said I've said that at this particular point that him, uh, the way at Bantamweight, that's his limit. Um, I think that, you know, that fight against Donaire, when he, when he got, he got himself, uh, he got his eyes uh, busted up a little bit. That was something where he had to get through the rest of that particular fight in order to get that win, but uh, anything north of uh, 118 pounds, uh, he, he may be in some real trouble. So uh, if he could, you know, stay here at 118 and then potentially uh, become the undisputed champ, then that would, you know, really cement him as far as like him being a pound for pound top guy. Uh, but north of that, I'm not sure, you know, what he could do north of that if he goes up to 122. So uh, that's the thing there with Inouye. That's uh, that's going to be, you know, a real challenge if he, you know, goes up there uh, to Super Bantamweight and tries his luck at Super Bantamweight. Because um, a, a lot of those guys, that's a, that's a, one, that's a very deep division at Super Bantamweight, and two, a lot of those guys could crack. So, um I, I, I'm not sure, uh, you know, what he could do there against those guys. Like, for example, I mean, you you saw we saw what happened with um Brandon Figueroa and what he was able to do, um, 
to get that win uh, that he had in that, you know, that kind of like, you know, shocked me for him getting that win uh, there to win that WBC belt. But you got guys like him. You got cool boy Stephen Fulton uh, there at 122. You got Raiz Salim. You got Akhmedalia. Like a lot of those, a lot of guys at 122. Uh, there for uh, in a way to face if he does end up going up to 122. But you know that that's a real, real big challenge if he's able to get through the Casameros or the uh, uh, potential rematch with Donaire or you know a fight against Guillermo Rigginow, um if that happens at 118. Uh, so that's you know mainly most of the stuff that uh, happened. Uh, there in the action uh, yesterday. We got like a few things that are coming up next week uh, that we'll be uh, talking about. But, um, you know, going to, I'm going to revisit uh, what happened in the previous week. Um, you had, of course, that press conference with uh, Fury and Wilder. Um, but now it's been like a few days after that. You've had Deontay Wilder, you know, talk about, you know, a few things, um, you know, to to a few people after that. Like he said, you know what, he's you know, generally, generally uh, focused on the fight. He really says that there's nothing to really talk about uh, in, in the press conference. That's like the only press conference that's going to happen in the lead into this fight. That's going to be, you know, within six, seven weeks or so uh, over in Las Vegas. So. It's going to be, you know, pretty much just, uh, you know, Tyson Fury, I guess, uh, building, you know, what, what, whatever is there to build for this upcoming fight, which I don't think there really is much to build off of. It's a third fight. It's, you know, two guys that are there uh, for the WBC uh, heavyweight title and the Leno heavyweight title. Uh, we've seen what's happened in the first two bouts. And we know what's on the line uh, for both fighters, you know, for Fury, you know, keeping his unbeaten record, uh, keeping a WBC title. And it would be his first defense of a heavyweight title uh, that he's had since he didn't defend the titles that he won over Vladimir Klitschko. Uh, so that would this would be his first official defense of a world title. And for Deontay Wilder, it's going to be, is he going to be able to rebound from the loss that he had last year and get the get the uh, WBC title back and see if, uh, you know, having his time with Malik Scott, if that was uh, something that was a good, you know, good investment for him. Uh, as uh, Mike was mentioning earlier, you know, it's, it's something where, you know, you have time with um, – trainers like with jds or with mark freeland and there's only so much that you could do with those trainers so if you if you're not able to do what you could do uh with those trainers you want to see if you could change things up and that's pretty much what you know uh deontay wilder is doing and, and i think you know people kind of forgot that you know tyson fury changed trainers before their second fight you know he had um you know, uh, Stewart there, um, Javon Sugar Hill Stewart, um, and and we saw what what that meant as far as like him, you know, adjusting what he was going to do, bulk uh, bulk himself up or gaining weight, uh, fighting off his front foot, 
uh, making or forcing Wilder to fight off his back foot, leaning on him, wearing down on him, eventually getting him tired, and then, you know, taking him uh, to deep waters there. So now with Malik Scott, you're going to see what the assessments are by too. Deontay Wilder. He learned some glove play, too. Doesn't everybody? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so now with Malik Scott, uh, they're uh, uh, in Wilder's corner. And I think that they're going to actually, I've heard that he may have somebody else as a chief second. So that is uh, something that, you know, remains to be seen. Um, if that's actually happened as of yet, but. Um, we'll see if that uh, uh, gives us uh, something uh, positive for Wilder. Um, be, but like I've said before, I think it's for Wilder is how is he going to be? How is he going to deal with someone that, you know, has the dimensions that Tyson Fury has and the overall abilities that Tyson Fury has going into this particular fight? Um, is, for me, it's more of like, how he's going to be able to defend off his back foot, if he's able to defend a jab, if he's able to move move around, move his head, and that type of thing. So uh, we'll see uh, what that means for it. But uh, as far as, like, how Wilder handled the press conference, that was just, you know, his decision. You know, he, you know, talked with um, uh, Christina Poncher and just, you know, said that, hey, you know, I, I declined to, you know, answer questions uh, here during the press conference. And, you know, Poncho was like, okay, cool, and whatnot. So, you know, him doing the whole headphones thing, that was just, you know, him, you know, just making that decision that, you know, there was nothing else for him to say. Just go ahead, get focused, get him, get his mind clear, and say, hey, July 24th is about, and it's all on the line for that particular night. He didn't say, you know, he didn't say anything about, you know, no glove gate. He didn't say anything about, you know, um, you know, anything with, uh, like, say the the the, what is it, the dent that he was talking about, or nothing like that. He just said, you know what, put that in the past, leave that in the past. I'm looking forward to what's happening on July 24th. And that's going to be, you know, what what his uh, what his focus is. Now, um, we got like some things coming up for uh, next week, uh, including the uh, fight card in Atlanta, uh, headlined by Garante Tank Davis against Mario Barrios for the WBA regular uh, lightweight, uh, super lightweight title, excuse me, super lightweight title, 140 pounds. But. Uh, we also uh, had recent news that uh, one of the fight cards uh, or one of the fights on that card uh, was going to be Julian J. Rock Williams against uh, Brian Mendoza. But uh, recent reports uh, from earlier today through was it Keith Eilick, uh here uh, is that um, uh, J. Rock suffered an injury to his elbow. And I was hoping, uh, you know, my guy. Uh, from Philly was still on here. Uh, he suffered an injury to his to his elbow while training uh, there, so he is out uh, against his fight against Brian Mendoza. That was going to be part of that card. So uh, that is uh, 
yo, yeah, that's not in there. Um, and you know, and it was gonna be interesting too because it was gonna be Julian Williams' first fight without uh Stephen Breadman uh Edwards, you know, uh the uh trainer there that was longtime trainer for Julian Williams, and he, you know, was going to be uh there with uh Sugar Hill Stewart. So he had been uh out out in uh Vegas actually training with Sugar Hill Stewart, but uh then had um you know uh had this injury so and this is the second delay that he's had because he was supposed to uh fight Mendoza in uh December twenty sixth last year uh but had been uh hit with COVID uh there. So um, they're going to see if they may have a replacement opponent for Brian Mendoza uh, for Saturday night. But as of right now, uh, that is up in the air. So J-Rock Williams is out uh, for that fight against Brian Mendoza on Saturday night. Um, you, you had the um, also that co-feature bout there, Erickson Lubin against uh, Jason Rosario. And... I think that's a toss-up fight. That's a toss-up fight. Um, Lubin, Lubin is somebody that uh, you know is you know we had his fight. Both of those guys had their fight against Jamel Charlo. Uh, both of them losing by knockout. Um, and you know, outside of that, with uh, you know, with Lubin, Lubin had that fight you know years ago. That was four years ago. Uh, since that fight. He's won every fight since. Uh, he's had, you know, wins over E.J. Smith, Terrell Garcet, and Nate Gallimore. And, of course, you know, Jason Rosario had his win over uh, Julian Williams uh, before losing to Jamel Charlo last year. So, um, and, and that's the thing about it is, like, this is a WBC eliminator there for uh, super, you know, super welterweight. So it's like whoever wins this fight either could be in a position for a world title shot again, or they may have like a whole nother eliminator bout where the winner of this could face like a um, Sebastian Fundora, the you know the six foot six, one hundred fifty four pound guy. Um, and it depends on what happens here with Jamel Charlo because Jamel Charlo uh, had his bout coming up against Brian Carlos Castaño uh, for the undisputed title there at 154 pounds. So uh, you got like a lot of, you know, a lot of activity uh, coming up for next week. You also have, you know, um, Vasily Machenko. Uh, he's going to be back in the ring ever uh, since his first fight since his loss to Teofimo Lopez as he's going up there against Masayoshi Nakatani um, there at lightweight. And you know that's gonna be a that's gonna be a pretty intriguing bout to see where Lomachenko is at this point of his career. It's a good you know good amount of time since his loss to uh, Nakatani, um, and you know the whole thing that people were talking about with Lomachenko, like he said, oh, he felt like he won the fight. Uh, like he he got robbed or something like that against Teofimo Lopez, and then recently in a recent interview, he said he looked at it again, 
and said, oh, he thinks it was a draw. But, you know, now we're going to see, like, how he is going to perform here against Nakatani. You know, Nakatani having his lone loss to Teofimo Lopez, but then turned around and had his uh, win over Felix Verdejo last year. Um, so it, it's going to be something because you have, you know, someone in uh, Nakatani who's a very tough fighter, um, you know, very durable, uh, can take can take a lot of shots. Um, going up against Lomachenko where, you know, people say, like, he's still there among pound for pound top 10. But I've said, like, at lightweight, he's he's at his limit at lightweight uh, as far as, like, what he's able to do uh, as far as, like, from um, his overall fluidness and mobility in the ring. Like, he really can't do as much as he did in super featherweight um, here at lightweight. So I think that's going to be a very interesting bout uh, there. Nakatani's there at 5'11", uh, with, uh, you know, a 71 uh, inch uh, wingspan and you know <laughs> Lomachenko's there's a uh, much shorter fighter so uh, I think that's going to be a very intriguing and interesting bout uh, there for Lomachenko and um, don't be surprised if he has some real issues against Nagatani early in this bout you know um, uh, Mike any thoughts about next week's uh, next weekend's fights coming up who beat Nagatani um T.O. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. And it was a, it was a, like a, kind of lackluster fight, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Right? Yep. Okay. I mean, if you say to do five eleven, and I'd imagine his arm reach is is definitely um, longer. Um, I don't remember how Nakatani fought. Did he use his range? Well, he did in to a certain extent against uh, Tio, um, and Tio was just you know just getting through that a little bit and having a few adjustments to you know get through that fight before you know we had his thing against uh, Richard Comey and we saw what he did against Comey, um, and then he had the fight against um, you know uh, you know Felix Verdejo where he got locked down uh, twice. Uh, before getting that TKO win in the ninth round, so he got he he was able to you know get up from two knockdowns in order to score that particular win, and then you know now they just put him in position to you know go ahead and have this fight against Vasil Lomachenko. So uh, this is a pivotal bout for you know both guys to see where they're at at this point of their careers, um, especially with Lomachenko because you know Lomachenko uh, still wants to. You know, have his uh, name and had to challenge for the world title again, and probably have a try to have a rematch there against Teofimo Lopez. So, if he gets through this bout, they might set that up uh, there. Uh, if Teofimo Lopez is still you know around there at um, 135 pounds, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I don't know what to expect. I think that. <clears throat> Lomachenko definitely has a skill to get around it. He can't be doing the cute matador stuff because if somebody uses their range and just, you know, makes a point to sort of stay away, then yeah, you can't you you can't do that. You gotta you know, obviously get past the landmines, but then when you get there, 
Do what you did to Tiafimo toward the end of that match. Land them bombs. Stop being, stop doing your Russian dancing and lay some hands on people. And then, and, but that that's the thing here with um, you know, Nakatani. I think he's got to be throwing punches from the first round to the last round. So uh, I think it's going to be you know something where you know Lomachenko will have to deal with that type of offense where. You got a guy with link that just keeps throwing, keeps throwing, keeps throwing, and can take a lot of punches. So I think it would be, you know, a test to, to see where Lomachenko is as far as like his mobility. If he could, you know, control range, score where he could score, uh, land, you know, shots to the body, um, move out, move away from the line of Nakatani, and and, and you know, kind of like wear him down that way. But we'll have to see if you know that. Uh, comes up uh, here later on down the line. Uh, we got like uh, your know, late person coming in, coming in the field. Um, I know that he's you know kind of like motivated. I know what his focus is. Uh, his focus is July, but he's coming on here anyway. This is y'all know him, the president of the Deontay Wilder Fan Club, Mr. Matthew Brown. Hey, what's good, what's good? Hey, Mike Grady, what's good, man? You watched the fights last night? Yes, I did. I expected you to come in talking shit, but... Um, My man, Mike Grady. Were you impressed with anyway? finally? <clears throat> okay, you didn't hear what I said. So, had you heard what I said, you would have came in talking shit. So, uh, JR asked me what I thought about it, and then I'll... Let me try to harness what I said uh, from earlier. JR, ask me how what I thought about the fight. Please. Okay. What Mike said was this. If he doesn't have any good to say about the fight, then oh my God. he'll say nothing You're at fucking all. Fucking kidding me. So he'll just leave it at that. Wow. That was a good synopsis, Jay. I appreciate that, man. Wow. So you don't <laughs> care about boring. the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. Where is he gonna fight somebody that can compete with him, Matt? That tell me that. Like, I don't know how good he is because every fight I've seen of his, he's been better than the person. Like, it's the same thing with Terrence Crawford. Same thing with everybody else. When you gonna fight somebody that looked like they got a chance? Well, um, supposedly he's gonna fight the winner of Donair versus Casemiro. You mean Donair who got outclassed by um, uh, Rigondeaux, that Donair? Yeah, but what about Casemiro? You know, Casemiro's a heavy hitter. I don't know this fighter you speak of. Oh, well. Then then, then you're never going to be impressed by anyway if you don't know anyone from the lower weight classes. Um, so a lot of people's opinion. But hold, hold on, though. Hold on. Is this the same Matthew Brown that said that anybody under 147 pounds he doesn't really <laughs> care about? Hey, listen, I don't care, but I still watch. Come on, man. <laughs> I still watch. <laughs> what else? Are, what else was I going to watch at 1230 at midnight? <laughs> I was oh, I, I know what you could have watched there at <laughs> Yesterday, but I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna touch that quite hey, yet. What's up with top break starting, y'all? Fucking after midnight. This is ridiculous. Was this pay per view? I was like, yo, why is this? It was on ESPN Plus, I think. 
I thought it was ESPN, but it's, it was ESPN. It was on regular ESPN. And I, and I feel oh, like wow. I was watching yeah. a fucking UFC event. Only UFC start their main events at 1 o'clock in the morning. I was like, what the hell's going on here, man? But I think um, NUA looked great. You know, I don't care what nobody say. I think Jamal Charlo looked great. Um, What I about think- him look great now? Give us details. 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 What about the great? He threw the most amount of punches he threw in his whole career. He was trying to to entertain his people. And, and then I, after he threw that many shots, what happened? Huh? And then after he threw that many shots, what what happened? Like what was the result of of uh, uh, he won uh, uh, easy decision where he beat the hell out of the guy for twelve rounds. You sure for 12 rounds? Yeah, he beat the hell for 12 rounds. Man, Absolutely. at the end of the fight, he was just wishing the fight was over with. No, I don't think so because he finished strong. I think in the last uh, couple rounds, he was averaging like 76 punches around. The dude was putting in work, but you wouldn't know that because as soon as Montiel do anything worth of any substance, all of a sudden, oh my God, uh, Jamal Trollo uh oh he's taking punishment like no he wasn't really taking much punishment did you see his eye matt what, did we watch the same fight you thought his eye was cut from a punch his eye was what you his eye wasn't cut from a punch that wasn't a punch that cut his eye well i'm talking about the swelling it was swelling because it was cut he got cut but it wasn't from okay. a punch all right, all right, all right. So, you know, it happens. It is what it is. It was the first cut of his career. And for someone who's never been cut before, uh, he still put in work. You know. So you don't think that um so you don't think that uh Jamal Charlo being there with Ronnie Shields that he's reached his limit with Ronnie Shields. Um when you say reached his limit, do you mean that you feel like he's not getting any better as a fighter? Let, let me let me tag in here. So the comment that I made was <clears throat> Jamal Charlo, as we saw yesterday, does not move his head off the line. He throws the one, he throws the two, he throws the three. His body trying to move, but his head stays in the same position on every punch, which is why he was falling off balance. On those times where he threw the, the three and his head was still right there on the line, which is why he kept getting hit so much because he doesn't move his head off the line. What I'm throwing out is it doesn't look like Ronnie Shields is the guy to, it's just my observation. I don't know for sure. It does not look like Ronnie Shields is the guy to look at that, <clears throat> to look at um, the tape and say, hey, we need to start practicing you moving your head off the line when you throw these punches because staying right here, yes, Canelo would hurt him. Somebody with, you know, who can throw big shots would hurt him because he don't move his head off the line and and you can't absorb shots always. Like, you can't bulldoze people. So what I'm asking is does did the, did the young Charlo have something did he, did he tell us something in that I need to go and get me someone else to help me improve. And we saw what he's done since, 
you know, obviously that that also is due to uh, fighting with Errol Spence. But going to a different trainer that tells you to get your head off the line, I, I, I can't confirm that now. But I don't know if Randy Shields is a guy to correct his problems. Should well, he wait till he loses? Let, let me say this last comment. I, I would I would have said that uh, up until yesterday, should Jamal wait till he loses to get more help, or should he rely on Ronnie Shields to where it just doesn't look like Ronnie Shields going to do All anything right, different? Let, 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 me ask you a question. let me ask you a question. Since clearly you think that uh, he's reached his limit with Ronnie Shields, who at middleweight beats him in his current state? I mean, I would have to think of that, but someone who, who a so let me let me let me put together a fighter, and maybe we can think of a fighter together once I does put it, together. Does Andre the, beat him? Probably not. No. What about uh, Jr.'s favorite Triple G? Um, no, but I think Triple G could could hit him. I think Triple G. Well, everybody gets hit. Triple G gonna land that uh that uh Donkey Kong. He gonna land the Donkey Kong on him. He he will hit him with the Donkey Kong. Mangia looked pretty good yesterday. He did. He looked he looked excellent to me. He looked like I'm like, man, is this dude growing? Is he trying to use it? His length and stuff? Like, has he grown up in front of us? My, I saw Mangia <laughs> dodge like three or four headshots. Yeah, I was happy for him. You know, I was kind of proud of him. The thing is, what scares me now for Jamal Charlo is that when he throws his shots, if you are willing to either block and then throw some right in between them, you will be able to catch him. What I do know, someone's punch resistance does not get better as their career goes on. It only gets worse. No, that's not he true. Does not. That's not that's not true. If, if Jamal Charlo would move up to 168, I think his punch resistance would be better. Because to me, a lot of guys lose punch resistance as they go along. Uh if they stay at the same weight too long and they they keep cutting, cutting weight um from a high number down to whatever weight class they're fighting in. Okay, I'll give you that. In terms of them carrying more weight. Yeah. Um, less dehydrated. That means that the muscles are able to absorb more. Something to do with the water. Okay, I'll give you that. But what yeah, I'm saying you got is, more let's, brain fluid. Yeah, more brain fluid. But let's take away. Let's take away um, the body mechanics and just only go. So, is it safe or unsafe to assume that as your career goes on, you're gonna take more and more punishment? Uh, yeah, as your reflexes diminish, you would think that you're not able to uh, get out of the way of punches. Nobody's Mayweather. But even Mayweather, as his career went on, it's inevitable. The longer you fight, the more punishment you will take. I'm not I'm not quantifying. I'm not qualifying to say you're going to take a lot of punishment. Or you're going to take a, a less punishment. All I'm saying is from when you start, as the time goes on, as time increases, punishment increases well yeah i guess cumulative cumulative thank you that's what i meant cumulative punishment increases yeah so if that is the case everyone as cumulative punches increases for whatever their body type and resistance punch resistance or whatever 
they're going to their resistance to punch uh, trauma is going to decrease. So all I'm saying is taking away like I definitely understand what you said. And, you know, that's a great point. The point you made. But all I'm saying is taking that away and the, and the um, you know, the uh, body mechanics and all that stuff. As the fight goes on, his punch resistance, everyone's punch resistance is going to weaken, which is happening to Deontay Wilder, which happened to Joshua, which happened to Ruiz, which happened to Ed, which happens to everyone. Happened to Mayweather. If he does not correct this movement of his head, his punch resistance is going to weaken, and he's going to get hurt a lot sooner because he needs to move his head. He needs somebody to train him the same way, the same way, that's exactly what happened to Deontay Wilder. I hate to say it, but the best thing for Deontay Wilder to do was to get somebody new to try to train him to move his head because his punch resistance decreased with anybody. Jamal Charlo, should he wait till he lose or wait till he have a fight where he got to test it? Or should he? Should, do you think Ronnie Shields has the ability? I'm not coming at running shields but all i'm saying is do you think their current team has the ability to go look at the tape and say son we we gotta practice this and we gotta train this we gotta go to the we gotta train this prevent defense we gotta train this two-minute offense do you think he has the ability to train when he throw the one two three to move his head off the line every time he throw a punch i promise you you look at him every time he threw a punch his head is still right down the line he does not move his head to the left of the line doesn't move to the right line. It's still right there, which is why he gonna keep getting hit. I well, want to may, maybe maybe Ronnie Shields is not the guy to teach that, but you have to also take into consideration that he threw the most amount of punches of his entire career, and that was by design. He wasn't economical. So what happens? The more punches you throw the more opportunities there are for you to be counted. So to me, I didn't see anything different from the Jamal Charlo in terms of defensively when you take into consideration the amount of punches that he threw. Hmm. Matt, we need to go and look at the preview together. We, we uh, JR need to show us the two-minute preview so you can see the shots of him getting hit a lot more than – than, than normal than what I... opportunities. That's what I'm saying. So, okay, that's so, what you So you know how they say um, uh, people score more in the NBA when the pace of the game speeds up. So that doesn't mean that a team is worse defensively. It just means that there's more opportunities to score. So of course the scores are going to be higher. It doesn't mean that a team is not great defensively. So what Jamal Charlo did was quicken the pace of the fight so there were more opportunities for him to get hit. But it's not like the dude um, punch percentages was crazy. You know, he still landed under 30% of his punches. So, and, and not only that, Jamal threw like 300 more punches than the dude did. You know, to me, it was, was it, just like 700 or something. Yeah. Yeah I, gotta, yeah, I gotta pull it. To me, it was just Jamal getting his Golden State Warriors on and just running up the score, just throwing shots out there, which is fine. He wanted to, what's wrong with being entertaining? That was one of the most entertaining Jamal Charlos you've ever seen. 
I mean, I'm, I can't. I I'm not negating any of your points. I agree with every point you've made. Uh, I mean, it makes sense. I, I can't argue with the points you're making. But let me ask you a quick question. If, yeah. if Ronnie Shields is not the guy, then who is the guy to take Jamal Charla to whatever level that you feel that he's stuck at in the ring? Um, what's what's the name, old trainer? Uh, Andre Ward, old trainer? Virgil Hunter? Oh, God, I think, no. I don't want to see that. I think Virgil Hunter would Oh, With God. the tools that what's his name has, his body, you know, like his body attack is effective already. Can, but... can, I, can I tell you a secret? Go ahead. A lot of people didn't like watching Andre Ward fight. <laughs> a lot like, of people didn't like watching Andre Mayweather fight. Jamal into Andre Ward. No, no. A lot of people didn't, no. like, didn't like Mayweather fighting, but we see what became of that. The man still, for the most part, I hope he got his faculties. I hope he's not developing signs of, um, you know, CTE. And he making a million dollars for nine for, for nine minutes. He's making a million dollars per minute for nine minutes of fighting people he overmatching. Well, listen, part of this business is not only winning, but also being entertaining. Okay, Shakur Stevenson doesn't take a lot of punishment, but guess what? I'm not interested in watching Shakur Stevenson. So now, <laughs> if you're telling me just for Jamal Charlo to get to whatever level you think he's uh, he needs to be at, that he's just going to, uh, I guess, take the air out of the ball and, and be boring, I, I don't want that. The Derevchenko fight was very exciting. Guess what? Jamal got hurt in that fight from a body shot. Yesterday's fight was very exciting. Um, he got hurt from a, to me, it was a borderline low blow. I think that's why he wrote it, because if you look, it looked to me like it was a little bit below the belt line. But it happens, and that's what I like to see. I don't want to see, I don't want to see boring fights. You know how Shakur Stevenson, 12-0s people, and nobody satisfied, and it was a, it was a whack fight yesterday. To me, Jamal Charlo twelve old somebody, but the fight was fucking exciting. I, I don't mind that at all. Again, I can't argue with this point. I mean, when I think about the Shakur Stevenson fight, yeah, I mean, I can't argue with any of this because I was watching the fight. I mean, it was a very uh, entertaining fight. But in terms of if he was my fighter. I would care less about entertainment. I would. The point of boxing is to hit and not get hit. Oh, like God. not to stand in. Yeah, that's not right. That's, that's right. That's right. Not Matt. to stand in trade. <laughs> Shout out to the Boxing Source Radio Show. Um, <laughs> but no, man. I, if it was my fighter, yes. I, I'm sorry, crowd people. Yeah, turn into Andre Ward. Because guess what? Fighting like that, he'll never have a um, a TV, cushy TV job when he talk about fights. Yeah, but who's going to care about him? Who is going to care about him? His family. Oh, that's fine. So I guess only his family going to go to his fights to purchase his fights. Andre Ward, 
uh, couldn't sell a ticket outside of Oakland because of his the, his fighting style, you know. And, and to me, Jamal Charlo not only wants to be successful in the ring, but he wants to be successful commercially. He will never be successful commercially with a trash style like that because he doesn't have the personality to carry a fight like a Floyd Mayweather. What if he had somebody in his corner like Andre Rozier? Oh, I wouldn't trust Rozier if I was him. Why not? Because Rozier the ops. Rozier been the ops for years. No. Rozier been with Dustin Jacobs. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. He been with Danny <laughs> Jacobs. That's the enemy. I wouldn't trust that motherfucker. Yeah, but he with Jacobs now, though. I think they're back together. What? I oh, I gotta, sworn, I gotta verify that. I could have <laughs> sworn I saw they got back together. Oh my God! If he did that, I'm gonna be like, Oh yeah. goodness, thank you. <laughs> I saw. Um, it was after the Gabe Rosado fight that it looks like uh, uh, Jacobs is going back to Rosier. Oh man, that would be. Yeah, I don't, hey, may it may be possible. Yeah, he, man. They said they read. They said they uh that it's possible they met. They uh, talked to each other back in March. Yeah, and they said that um he not with Angela Simmons no more. Uh, who knows? Maybe him and his old wife can get back together. Maybe Danny Jacobs is coming back. Who knows? Maybe he might be uh, back to Brooklyn. Oh man. Hey, well they said uh I guess uh they had to let you know bygones be bygones and yeah, try he, to make up and everything. Yeah, he gotta let bygones be bygones because he was getting his ass kicked by Gabe Rosado. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like no offense to Gabe Rosado, excellent win yesterday, but he's a fucking bum. Oh no. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, I forgot. I forgot. You're against every everything that represents Philly with the exception of Bootsitis. I like you just got on the Boots bandwagon. I like boot I like B Hop. I like Boots. Yeah. Fucking what what happened to your boy J Rock, man? Hey, elbow, man. Um, Come on, man. That's 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 whack. Yeah. Yeah. He should have fought anyway. Ryan Mendoza ain't nobody. <laughs> he have Come on, anyway. man! If that was Deontay Wilder, he would have fought with one arm. <laughs> like that is true. Chris Ariola. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. He would have. Yeah, these oh, boys ain't man. getting the same, man. But I shouldn't even talk shit about J Rock because he be he be liking a lot of my posts on Twitter. So maybe I'll you know yeah. cut him some slack. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't know if you. I don't know if he wanted to cut him some slack because he's under the tutelage of Javon Sugar Hill Stewart. So yeah, snake shit, man. <laughs> That's some real snake shit, man. I tell you. Oh my god, yo! Yeah, it's crazy. So man. are they yeah. gonna replace that fight or? We uh, I haven't seen any update now. on um, if Mendoza is gonna get a replacement opponent or not. Yeah, but who gives a shit about Mendoza? We were we were coming to see J Rock. <laughs> like, 
That's not gonna. That's not gonna help sell a pay per view. He's like, who cares? Yeah, who gets a fuck? Oh, I, I didn't even know who Brian Mendoza was. I had to look him up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh man, so yeah, we got this whole yeah that card. Um, yeah, outside of that, who was I looking forward to, man? Um, of course the the thing with um. Lubin and Rosario, but you had Akhmadov against Algenis Mendez outside of that. So, yeah, maybe, yeah, they're going to have to have some type of replacement. Yeah, they got to put something on there. Because this is a pay-per-view, and you're going to have to have four fights on that card. They got to put something on there. But if if it's only going to be a three-fight card, they better get in and get out early. I don't mind that. I, I like when boxing ends. Uh, by eleven o'clock or a little bit earlier, I, I don't like I don't like the top rank model of dragging shit out past midnight, almost one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I, I don't I don't like that. I, I want to be able to 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 like have like a post game uh show, like some shit where you could yeah. talk about boxing because the night ended earlier enough for you to be able to di- digest and get instant reaction from fellow boxing fans about what you saw. Yeah, instead of like getting uh, staying up until four in the morning, yeah, <laughs> four or five in the morning, <laughs> yeah, man, yeah, yeah, that's the thing, man. So, I mean, because a lot of times, man, and that's how this thing ends up, especially if you're you know on site for some of these things, you you be out there until one one a.m. Eastern, and then by the end of the by the end of the fight and the press conference after the fight, it's like two thirty, three o'clock. Yeah, you know? I didn't I didn't get to watch any of the the post fight stuff with anyway because it was just too late. Yeah, yeah, that was mm-mm. so. But are you looking forward to Lomachenko versus Nakatani? I am because I think there's still a few questions out there for Lomachenko with him being that lightweight. Uh, I still don't trust his his uh his um quote unquote ring generalship at one hundred and thirty five pounds. Do you and trust Nakatani's eye? Good question. <laughs> Cause I, I was kind of surprised when they announced the Lomachenko fight. I was like, damn, that's kinda early. Nakatani just had his eye messed up by Verdejo. And he's gonna come right back against Lomachenko. Yeah, Are they right. trying to feed him to Lomachenko when they know he's damaged goods uh, without getting a proper chance to heal, just to build back up Lomachenko? I wouldn't put that past top rank. <laughs> yeah, you know they they could try to you know pull something like that off. You know, you know, but. You know, with uh, Nagatani's length and, and height, man, as long as he still has that, you know, offense that where he doesn't stop throwing punches, I'd like to see if, uh, you know, if Lomachenko gets tagged a couple of times, how that would, you know, how he would be able to respond to that. You know, I've not been really much of a fan of him at lightweight, you know, and, you know, so a lot of these guys can crack at lightweight. So it's like, hey. Unless if he, you know, tries to do things where he could strategically score shots against Nakatani, then, yeah, I think Nakatani could try to, you know, try to overwhelm him or something like that. I'd but, love to see that. I, I would love to see 
Lomachenko under real pressure in a real firefight because you, you just haven't seen it throughout his career. You know, uh, when Tiafimo hit him with an onslaught, <laughs> he damn near got stopped. Yep. So it's like, I want to see how Lomachenko reacts under real pressure. None of this calculating and downloading information bullshit. Let's get this fight going. It better be a good fight. Yeah, because I really don't see much uh, <laughs> there outside of this particular bout, man. That it, you know, it looks like this is, you know, this is it. You know, um, I didn't see much as far as like uh, you know, anything in reference to a co-feature or nothing like that, man. Um, so this is yeah, this is pretty much it for that for that particular fight card, man. And I was like, yeah. If it's just that fight, then that's the only thing I I I'd be you know looking forward to. But you got that on that side, and then the Davis Barrios pay per view, you know, over in Atlanta. So I'm looking looking forward to see how that turns out. And you know, like you're saying, man, you're like yo Barrios is there at like what five eleven? Yeah, <laughs> you know, at one hundred forty pounds. Uh, it's I mean, a big yeah, motherfucker, Davis Davis. They say, I mean, Davis can crack. He got, you know, 20, what is it? All but one of his fights ended in a knockout, but going up against a, a much bigger guy. All they got to do is just make 140 pounds uh, on, Friday, on Friday and then balloon to whatever he wants. So on yeah. fright night. And, and what's going to happen if Barrios can take Davis's shot? Davis is going to be in a lot of trouble because Barrios is a very busy fighter. Yep. Yep. You know, that's the thing about it is he, he's a very busy fighter. Um, and he, he he's one that could start early, too. So that's the thing about uh, Tank. Uh, is he going to be able to work on trying to get a, around that opening onslaught from uh, Barrios? And try to you know work work or break down barriers uh, later on down the line because I don't think uh, trying to zero in on one punch is going to work against barriers like that. Yeah, like, I don't think so either. You know, because barriers has shown no signs of not being able to take punishment. Yep. So, so yeah, that that's going to be intriguing how how that goes. And I mean, like uh, like you're saying, um, with um. You know, other guys like he it took like 12 rounds for you know, um, Davis to put out you know, uh, Gamboa, and uh, you know, that that kind of was uh, something that people didn't necessarily you know expect, but I mean, it, it happened regardless. But you know, we, we'll see here, you know, with Tank because you know, they're building them up to be the next guy to be the next pay per view you know, star, and so they're building them up and building them up and putting them in position for these, you know, these fights that could be, you know, all action, uh, where it could be ending in a knockout and that type of thing. So uh, we'll see how that ends up for them, man. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, this is going to be a good one. Yeah. So, you know, with that being said, man, that, that's uh, mostly everything. Um, uh I know that they had a uh, particular press conference for that um, undisputed 154, you know, with um, 
Jamel Charlo there and Brian Castaño. I but, think um, Castaño showed up. Uh, he had plane ticket issues. Oh yeah, 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 oh yeah, he wasn't able to. Yeah, he he wasn't able to make that. But I, I don't care anything about what Jamel Charlo got to say anyway. I'm good. Yeah, cause I heard something that he said after that press conference, and I was like, "Bruh, you sh- like be a professional or not, you shouldn't be saying that on camera, man." Oh, uh, Mister Mister Shooters. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. He got shooters, but he's not allowed to fight at Houston. Yeah, but it's funny. Because when he was going at Tank and when he was going at AB, he was ready for the smoke, ready to fight. But Deontay Wilder said ah, he need the shit slapped out of him. Now all of a sudden he got shooters. So he he's just one of those ladders of motorbike, but what bust a grape in a fruit fight kind of dudes. Because while yeah, all of a sudden he's bigger than you, he'll fight you. What? If he's bigger than you. Or so, the same so size. What? So so then don't then, then then don't talk shit. Be accountable for what you say then. You, you, you know what age we live in, right? They, these guys are the Migos of boxing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I was waiting for it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 them boys just—he—he he, he just talking, cause you Woo. talking all that shit. You go out of your way to talk shit about Deontay Wilder when Deontay Wilder don't think about you, don't talk about you. You went out of your way to talk shit about Deontay Wilder, but when he say you need the shit slapped out of you, all of a sudden you got shooters. Well, where's your shooters for for Jay Prince? Who doesn't allow you to fight in Houston because of an incident that happened years ago? When was the last time Jamal Charlo fought in Houston? Where's his shooters protecting him so he could be the one drawing over ten thousand in the Toyota Center like his brother did last night? Yo, that, and that's crazy because he he showed up. You know, he was there, and I'm like, yeah, with a stupid can... hat. <laughs> I'm like, you could be there in Houston, but uh, as far as but like, you won't make Houston, no money. Yep, not one dime. Won't be able to move. Like, in, in this thing here with this fight against Castano, that's in what? San Antonio? San Antonio. Come on. <laughs> Can't have it in Houston, but it's in San Antonio. Oh, my goodness, man. Oh. Oh, Jamel, Jamel, Jamel. But hey, that I guess that's the see, that's the type of things that just I guess makes them uh, <laughs> and this is after we done supported and put the money down for mm-hmm. the pay per view. <laughs> yeah, man, race don't matter. I heard you, I heard you loud and clear, Jamel. I mean, we we bought the pay per view because they black. <laughs> Heard you loud and clear, Jamel. It don't matter. Yeah, you're, you're not on. You're not on anybody's top ten pound for pound list because race don't matter, right? 
a unified champion one step from undisputed can't crack a top 10 pound for pound list but fucking Lomachenko still on the goddamn pound for pound list triple g still on the pound for pound list anyway is on the pound for pound list anyway deserves it let's let's not do that anyways probably <laughs> either anywhere canelo's number one and i'm leaning towards i'm leaning towards anyway now after watching uh Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. lose to Anderson Silva. Uh, I got to <laughs> knock Canelo down a little bit because he allowed Chavez to go 12 with him. <laughs> oh, man. When I, yo, when I saw that, I was laughing for like 50 minutes. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and Canelo was there. Yes. I know Canelo was probably like, this guy's pathetic. Yo, it was so funny, man. He was there, and then they had um, they had him there watching Chavez Sr. <laughs> going through that fight with Hector Camacho Jr. And there was that one, one picture that was shared, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, with 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 Chavez Senior hugging Canelo, <laughs> and I said, "Yo, Chavez Senior is looking at Canelo like he's the son that he's supposed to have." Yeah, man. <laughs> I would love to see Chavez uh, Senior walk Canelo out one of these days. Maybe if Canelo has like a, a homecoming fight in Mexico. Mexico, yeah. Yeah, I, I would love to see that. Just just I like I like bridging errors, which is why I, I still don't fuck with Mike Tyson. Because <laughs> that bitch ass nigga had a chance listen, to bridge an error with listen, the man. great American heavyweight. Listen, and he listen, chose not to listen, do that. Listen, so listen. he's forever tainted in my book. Listen, when when Deontay when Deontay Wilder said he asked that question, who have I fought? Listen, I fought Larry Holmes. <laughs> I fought a Vanna Holyfield. You know, I fought, I fought, man, I fought all these guys, man. I fought Pinkman Thomas, okay? I fought Razor Ruddick. Yeah. I fought Buster Douglas. Listen, I'm, 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 I was the baddest man on the planet, okay? So... I don't know what Deontay Weather's talking about. So, listen, if he don't want to rock with me, that's cool, man. I don't have to rock with him either. Yeah, I ain't <laughs> fucking with Tyson no more. I'm good. I'm good, man. But he from the Catskills, bro. Yeah, he can stay out there. <laughs> from the Catskills, hanging out in Brownsville, son. Come on. Yeah. He can stay up there, man. Maybe a little mountain lion could eat his ass. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yo, it's, <laughs> it's crazy, son. But, yeah, man, uh, that, <laughs> yeah, that, that Chavez thing, man, that, that was, that was crazy. And the funny thing is, like, <laughs> out there in the chats, now they're saying that maybe they should have a little Chavez fighting. <laughs> Fighting Jake Paul. Oh my God! And they would pick Jake Paul to win. <laughs> uh, imagine, imagine Jake Paul knocking him out. 
Oh my god, that would be endless laughs. Because I don't think yeah. Jake Paul ever. I don't think Jake Paul looking to get no decision with nobody. Yeah, he's not trying to go more than six six rounds, eight rounds. What was yeah. it? Yeah, Jake Powell out for blood. <laughs> let's see, let's see, let's see what he does. Uh let's see what he does in his next fight coming up. And and then if he get if he finds a way to get to that fight with Woodley, then maybe he'll put him up against Lil Chavez. Right. So he's the better fighter out of the two. Jake is better than Logan. I would say uh, he has more one punch power, but to me, uh, Logan kind of showed me something against Mayweather. I mean, he yeah. he's, he showed that he can stay in the ring for a good amount of time, man. Yeah, and that's stamina is real. Yeah, stamina, man. And he was able to lean on entire Mayweather pretty easily. Because I guess he has like a wrestling background. So he 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 has some boxing moves. Maybe some good grappling play. skills, you know, tie people up. And, yeah. You know. But yeah, Jake, Jake would, he would crack a little chocolate. I guess. Yeah, but I mean that's 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 what I got here for this edition, uh, folks. Uh, you know we got you know what's coming up next week. Uh, that'll be um, you know something to watch out for. Tank Davis versus Barrios over in Atlanta um, should be a little bit of a scene there. You know it's Mayweather promotion, so you know how you know how you know how they do when it yeah, comes man. to bringing it bringing them out. <laughs> Yeah, they gonna put on the show. I already, they go, I already know. Yeah, they go put on the show, and they gonna be bringing them out. So, <laughs> so that that's gonna be something there, man. And I hope Mike Grady go into the fight. No, nah, I'm not going. Uh, you should. Are you married, Mike? Hey, hey, hey! Don't ask me personal details like that. You you're, you know. don't deserve to know how old I am. Because because a tank fight brings out a lot of the ladies, bro. If you if you ain't married, you should be at that tank fight. I'm a nice, respectable young <laughs> young fellow. I am um, not looking for anything fast. I'm moving slow. Yeah, yeah, I'm girls that can be bringing out. I'm sure JR got me though. <laughs> oh man, oh, that's gonna be wild, man. It's gonna be yep. wild, it's gonna be wild, definitely. And, um, if if um, whatchamacallit, um, does uh pulls it out tonight then that whole weekend is gonna be something so we'll see you know if who pull off what the hawks yeah oh okay yeah yeah but no i'm not married man i'm um yeah man, you, you better go to that fight then bro get you a ari <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Oh, yeah, that would be nuts, yo. Oh, and on that note, man, it's, it's uh, two two hours in the books uh, here for this edition of the Boxing Source Radio Show. Thanks for everybody that came in and joined in and gave their piece on what happened over the course of the week uh, there. And uh, we'll get right back at it here next week, June 27th. Uh, it'll be on and popping. And, yes, that's right. Like I say at the end of every show, man, the point of boxing is a hit and I can hit, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Not a standard trade. <laughs> and I'm out this joint, man. Peace. Bob Squad, baby. <laughs>